Hi, I'm Ben Lowell and welcome to Truth and Life today with Dr. John Newfeld. Uh, John, we're starting an exciting new series today on the topic of heaven. Yeah. Now, it's interesting because I think there's a lot of misinformation or misconception about what heaven is, but we're going to help them understand more about what the Bible has to say. Yeah, the, the biblical view of heaven, even for Christians, catches a lot of people by surprise. Yeah. So yeah, we're going to try to unpack that. Yeah. Fantastic. So we're going to start today on a series that's going to last actually the next 10 weeks. So join us today for the introduction on John's series on heaven right here on Truth and Life Today. I'm starting a series on heaven. Love to talk about heaven. It's one of my favorite subjects. But before I do, before I tell you about the glories of heaven, let me give you the really, really bad news. Here it is. Did you know that in Canada, the mortality rate is soaring as high as 100%? <laughs> yeah, 100% of us are going to die. And uh, here's the bad news also. For the vast majority of us, uh, we're going to have to die before we get to heaven. And so let me talk about the reality of death before I do anything else. One of my favorite theologians was a man named Jonathan Edwards in the 1700s, and he had written a series of resolutions. Uh, these were resolutions that he read to himself every single day, which he designed to remind himself of what was really important in life. And one of them read this way. It said, resolved to think much on all occasions of my dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. Now, some of us, I think we've almost been educated to say, you know, that's kind of morose. I mean, who wants to think about your death every single day? And yet Edwards thought, if I think about my death every single day, I'll always remember how important this day is, and I'll remember also what, uh, what matters, you know, in eternity. And that's really the question before us. So let me give you a couple of stats. Every single day in this world, about 150,000 people die. 150,000 people a day. That's approximately the size of Sherbrooke, Quebec. Sherbrooke, Quebec dies every single day on this earth, which means that at the end of the year, about 55 million people will die. So in this year, by the time it reaches an end, 55 million, that will be well in excess of the population of Canada. It's around, you know, somewhere around the population of the UK will die every single year. So death isn't, you know, something that, you know, I hope it never happens to me or I don't want to think about it. Death is so real in the experience of the human race, the wails and the cries of pain and anguish that come from death rise up before heaven every single day. So I don't know how to stress death any more strongly than that is to say it lies before us and we ought to consider it deeply. So with that in mind, I want to read to you one of the oldest psalms that we have in the book of Psalms. It's, it's a psalm of Moses, and it's Psalm 90, and here's how it reads. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God, he says. So when he speaks about God, he says, I'm speaking about the eternal one who exists of necessity. Before the hills were born and long after the hills die. In the end of everything, before everything and after everything, there's God. God always is that one constant. He never changes. He never ends. He is the eternal God. Then comparing God to us, here's what he says. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, 
for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. A thousand years, well, you know, we're not even gonna live a hundred years. There are a few of us who will live to be a hundred years and then we'll probably put a memorial plaque for them somewhere because we'll say that's an extraordinary long period of time to live. But for God, a thousand years are as a watch in the night. And so that's just a night watch. It's, it just comes and it goes and before you know it, it's already gone. So we're in the earth for a long time and it seems like a small period of time before the eternal God. See, I know this about life, that the older I get, the faster it seems that time seems to progress. And I've thought about that, and I think that only makes sense. You see, when I was one year old, another year, that was 100% of the life I had already lived. That seemed like a, a monstrous amount of time that was laid out before me. But now at my age, it doesn't seem that way. It's just a small portion of my life, and they seem to clip along faster and faster as I go along, and I recognize that my death is ever so close. Every single human being ought to think that way because that is the reality of our existence. We delude ourselves when we don't. So having said all of that, let me add to that something else. And I take this from an article in McLean's magazine, which came out a number of years ago, and it reported that among Americans, 81% of Americans believed that there was a heaven. And in Canada, that number was substantially lower, and yet well over a half of Canadians also believed in heaven. Now, when it came to hell, the number among Canadians dropped to a very few of us, and it was an interesting article as well because most people, it reported, think they are going to heaven after they die. And it also said that regardless of religious affiliation, we all think that. See, most people think they're going to heaven and you'd have to do something utterly horrifying to get to hell. See, now I wanna contrast this popular view in our day with, with Christ's view. And I, I'm reading from the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So let me read to you what it says. In, in Matthew chapter seven, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And then he said, and those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow, the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. In other words, Jesus turned that whole thinking out on its head. He said, you know, listen, you, you have to understand something, that, that heaven isn't there for the majority of us, it's there for a minority. There are only a few that will find their way to heaven. Heaven is indeed a reality. The life to come is a reality, but heaven, the reward that is given at the end of this life is only reserved for very few. Those were the thoughts of Jesus. And interestingly enough, Jesus is the only one who actually died and rose from the dead and entered into heaven and, and came back. And so he's really the one that we should ask. And that's what he says. So there's a lot to talk about in terms of heaven. And one of the first things about heaven is this question, how do I get there? So that's what we're gonna talk about next. I wanna keep on reading from Psalm chapter 90 and it's a Psalm of Moses. And Moses has been talking about the brevity of life. So in verse five of Psalm 90, he writes, you, that is God, you sweep them away. That's us, 
as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and it is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. And then he writes, for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. And then in verse 11, he says, who considers the power of your anger? Now, that's an interesting question. Who considers the power of your anger? Now, most people, when they think about God, don't think about anger. In fact, the idea of anger and God is altogether foreign to them. And it's a, it's a concept that we kind of think that, you know, it maybe belongs as a relic to a former time when people saw God as nasty. We thankfully have grown beyond that and recognize that God is benevolent. But here comes this ancient Psalm. It's, it's at least 3,500 years old in it. And, and it says something that most of us have never considered. Who considers the power of your anger, says Moses. Now, the power of your anger, well, here's the deal. God is able to prevent the death of every single human being. Now, there are seven billion of us on this planet as I speak now. And God is actually planning the death of every single one of us. He will prevent none of our deaths. All seven billion of us are going to die. Moses said, do you even think about that? God could stop it and yet he doesn't. What does that tell you about God? And his answer is, it's our sins in his presence that sweep us away. You see, that's completely uh, consistent with what the New Testament teaches as well. With sin comes death. The, the two are just connected. We have, become, we have become enemies of God, and because of this, we are under the sentence of death, and we will die. I mean, we live with this idea that, yes, we're going to die, and many of us kind of put it aside as long as we can until we're faced with it head on, and then we'll deal with it then. And yet, whether we fantasize about not dying or not, we're going to. Now, now here's the beauty of what the Bible teaches. Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 1 to 2 is really these marvelous chapters that teach us that everyone has sinned, everyone has fallen short of the glory of God, everyone has turned away from God together. But then it reads that a righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law and it talks about this marvelous event of the death of Jesus. He goes to the cross and dies on our behalf. He dies for us. See, that's a marvelous statement. We who are subject to death have one who died on our behalf and who comes to us and says, I taste to death for you so that I would give you the most excellent gift that I can give anyone, and that is the gift of life. Will you take it from my hand? And he invites us to surrender our life to him who is the Lord of life and death. He offers us forgiveness of sins, a cleansed relationship with God, and a life that will never end. See, that's the gospel in a nutshell. We who are subject to death have been offered life. And everyone, and this is what Jesus taught in John chapter 5, and everyone who hears his voice and comes to him has already crossed over, said Jesus, from death to life. That is, the minute we say yes to Christ, invite him to be Lord and Savior of our lives. The minute we say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, 
and I confess my sins before you and I turn from them and I turn to you, would you be the Lord of my life? Jesus says the minute you do that, you already cross over from death to life. I already give you a foretaste of the life to come. I'll give you my eternal life right now. It'll begin to live in you. I remember hearing a, a marvelous story some years ago, and it, it was a story about a, a manufacturer that had, that had uh, you got a product that would help you to diet. And so, you know, if you had this hunger for donuts and you just want to eat donuts, you know, head out to Tim Hortons and grab all the donuts they have and eat them in one fell swoop because you can't stand your diet anymore. Well, they had invented a product that you got in a can and so you just simply sprayed the taste of donuts and that should satisfy you, but it never did. In fact, that's why the product failed. The minute you got the foretaste, you wanted the real thing. But that's what eternal life is when we're born again. We're born from above. The life of eternity that's been given to the believer in Jesus right now produces in us this hunger and this aching after heaven and the presence of God. No, no, not this weird scene about playing golf somewhere for all of eternity. It's not what we're talking about. It's entering into the dwelling place of God. That's the hunger that every believer has. And so here's the question that often gets asked. What then happens to a believer in Jesus at the point of time in which they die? I'm going to give myself to that. And, and, and I want to begin by, by reading to you from the book of Philippians. And it's in chapter 1, verses 21 to 24. You ought to know that when Paul writes this, he is facing Caesar's tribunal. He's got a, a death sentence that might be meted out to him. And he doesn't know which way it's going to go. So here's what he says. If I am to live in the flesh, it means fruitful labor for me, yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire, he says, is to depart, which means to die, and to be with Christ, for that is better by far, he writes. In fact, the whole context of what he is saying says, you know, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That is, when I live, I live with Christ as my purpose, and when I die, it's gain. It's better by far when I die, for I will be ushered immediately into the presence of Christ. So that's the hope of every believer, that at the point of death, our existence doesn't stop, but rather it's the ushering in to glory. You know, I've made the point that at the very moment a believer dies, they are ushered immediately into Christ's presence. Now, let me put a little wrinkle into that. I'm reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, and listen carefully. Paul writes to the Thessalonian believers and he says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. You know, that's just a euphemism for those who've died. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, that is when Jesus returns, will not proceed or get ahead of those who have fallen asleep or those who have died in Christ. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with a voice of an archangel and with a sound of the trumpet. And then it says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So, so Paul is talking about something that happens at the end of the age. When Christ Jesus returns again to the earth, at that very moment, prior to all believers rising to meet with him, there will be a resurrection of those who have already died. And you'll say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Didn't he just teach us that any believer who dies is immediately ushered into the presence of Christ? And that's exactly what he taught. But now he says, yeah, but when Christ comes, those who have died will, will rise then. So you got to ask yourself, well, which is it? Are we immediately in the presence of Christ or do we wait to rise when Christ returns again? Because the Bible teaches both of them. And there is obviously a solution to this problem, and it's very simple. I want to give you an illustration that I often love to use. Imagine it's January, and imagine that you're living in Taktayaktak. I mean, that's way up north in the Arctic. That's way beyond, uh, you know, the, the land of the midnight sun. So in January, the sun never rises. You know, it's 50 below and colder, and you're afraid to stick your nose out of your door. Uh, the wind is blowing. There's a, there's a whiteout if you could see it, but it's dark all of the time. It's just miserable to live there. But somebody has given you a ticket, and the ticket says, you got this marvelous home in Hawaii waiting for you. I mean, just get on board the plane, and away you go, and in an instant, you'll be delivered in, you know, in, in Honolulu with this beautiful house that, that moves right onto the beach, and the weather's going to be 32 degrees Celsius. <laughs> you know what? You can have a beautiful Hawaiian shirt on, unbutton, and walk out in that beautiful blazing sunset or sunrise and, and sun, sunshine all over the place, and you can walk into the water, and it'll be the temperature of your bathtub. I mean, how good is that. So you finally comes the day when your plane arrives and you get on board. You're on the way. And you find out as you're on your way, you have a stopover in Vancouver. You know, Vancouver in January, I mean, you might have snow, but most of the time you don't. You know, it's about three degrees above and it rains a lot of the time, but the sun is up for eight hours a day. And in Tuktoyaktuk, you never had it up at all. And it's a lot warmer than what you have, but you're not in Hawaii yet. But where you are is better by far. That's exactly what the Bible is teaching us. Before Christ returns, when any believer in Christ dies, they are in his presence, but they're not fully receiving everything that they will have. What they await is a new body. So what does all that mean? Let me put it this way. Today, when a believer dies, they're ushered immediately in the presence of Christ. What's death? Death is simply the tearing asunder of soul from the body. It's the first time ever that our body and our soul are torn apart from one another. See, we weren't existed, uh, were created to be, you know, a soulless, I mean, I mean, bodiless souls or soulless bodies. You know, we, we were created to be body and soul. We were created one. There's an integration of the two. Uh, yes, we are a living soul, but we exist in bodily form. That is human existence. That's how God made us to be. At death, the soul is torn from the body. But then Paul says the soul goes immediately into the presence of God, which is better by far. So many Christians say, well, what is existence like? 
And, and how can the soul actually exist without a body? And to the answer to that is I actually don't know because the Bible doesn't give us any clues outside of this one statement. It is better by far. It is better by far. It is better to be in the presence of Christ than anything else. When someone has died in Christ, we don't weep for them. We weep for ourselves and our loss. For them, it is better by far. It always is. But on the other hand, all that they will be has not yet been given. Now, it's possible to me that in the interim, in this intermediate state, uh, it might be that God has created an intermediate body, because that seems to make sense to me. But even that is not referenced in the scripture. We're left guessing. There's very little information on that. So I can simply shrug and say, whatever it is, it's better than what we got. It's like being in Vancouver rather than in Taktayaktak, but we're on our way to Hawaii. But when Christ comes again, and this is the fascinating thing, did you know that those who have died in Christ and those of us who are yet here on this side of eternity, we have one thing in common. We passionately await the second coming of Jesus and the receiving of a resurrection body. See, that's the key about heaven. Heaven is not some erythral, you know, floating on a cloud somewhere. Heaven is real and physical. It comes in a bodily format. It comes with sights and sounds and smells and tastes. You know, when my father lay dying, I, you know, he said to me, I'd love to take one more journey into the mountains. And I said to him, Dad, we're going to do that yet. And I wasn't just simply giving him pie and sky by and by. I was giving him a real biblical assurance. The life to come is physical. It comes in a bodily resurrection and in a resurrection of this old earth. The life to come will be a physical life. Hi, and welcome back to Truth and Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld. And John, uh, thanks so much for your message today. It's, yeah. it's been a great introduction into this series on heaven. And I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about, you know, this, this sense of avoidance. And maybe because uh, we avoid death, uh, the uh, topic of death, because we really don't understand heaven. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, you know, Hebrews talks about those who through the fear of death have been held bondage. Yeah. And, uh, you know, either it's we just don't want to talk about it, I don't want to think about it, or there are others that are so mesmerized by it, they're completely dragged down, there's no joy left in them. But I think that the salvation that's wrought in Christ and the promises, that eternal promises that he's yeah. made, right? Yeah. The eternal promises and the assurance that the resurrection tells me that they are true. I think it changes your whole perspective of death. Um, it has to. You know, one of the things that changed my perspective of heaven is what you talk about is the physicality of uh, heaven. Yeah. So Jesus rises bodily, and the Bible says he's the first fruit of those who's risen from the dead, which means that he's a prototype. So if you want to know what your life's going to be like, look at the raised Jesus. I mean, he ate with his disciples. We're going to eat in the, in the banqueting hall of Christ himself. I mean, you know, you think about that. That's not, that's not you know, just language, that's, that, that's a real environment in which that's happened. So, you know, heaven with sights and sounds and smells and physicality, that is how we are to think about it. It actually goes beyond that, but at the very outset, let's think of it that way. 
So what's going to happen next week? Yeah, we're going to talk about, um, you know, what it is to rule and reign with Christ. So in other words, it's not just that I'm sitting on a cloud and playing a harp forever, right? There's actually a task for me to do. And I'll also talk about the fact that we don't know everything in heaven. We are, you know, we grow, we learn, we progress, and we create in heaven so that, I mean, that's exciting to me. So we'll talk about some of that. Fantastic. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us next week right here on Truth and Life Today. 